Hello and welcome to We Dig Plants on the Heritage Radio Network. We are the ladies of Groundworks, Inc. I'm Carmen DeVito. And I'm Alice Marcus-Krieg. And we design, install, and maintain gardens all around New York. And this time of year, we also plant bulbs. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Our show broadcasts from the Heritage Radio Network from two shipping containers in Bushwick, Brooklyn. And is located next to Roberta's Pizza at 261 Moore Street. Um, our sponsor today is Acme Smoked Fish, located in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. Acme has been a mainstay in New York's culinary landscape for over 55 years. Using old-world recipes, Acme produces the finest smoked salmon, whitefish, and sable that discerning palates demand. For information on where to find Acme, Blue Hill Bay, or Ruby Bay products, visit www.acmesmokedfish.com. So Alice and I, we on our show bring the culture to horticulture, don't we, Alice? <laughs> yes, we try. <laughs> and um, we are thinking about spring 2011. That's right. Because even though they bloom in the spring, you have to plant them in the fall. So you have to plan. And the bulbs we're going to talk about today are things like the daffodils, the hyacinths, the crocus. Um, so you have to buy them now and you have to plant them before frost wherever your area is. So the spring color that you expect, that you see, that you, you see at Easter time requires six months preparation and not in April when some of our clients wake up and want color from the dreary winter, but now in October and in November when most of the world thinks gardening is over, but it's not over we know. Oh. <laughs> Us gardeners know. It's just the beginning. In fact, if you look at trees now, this winter, you'll start seeing the new buds for spring already kind of swelling. And it's right. really, really cool. So this is when your knees are wet and your hands get dirty. And, and our gardeners cold, hate us. And you're cold and cranky because <laughs> you're planting bulbs. And it's wet and you have to dig each hole. <laughs> One at a time. One at a time. For that glorious, glorious display yes, come April. Exactly. So you have to be patient. And so today we thought we'd give a little primer on bulbs, a little bit of history, a little how-to of some of our favorites for spring color. So let's start with the daffodil, Alice. The daffodil. These are those sturdy, bright, tall friends that are so perky when they first bloom. They originate from Spain and Portugal. Uh, they were brought to Britain by the Romans, who thought actually that the sap had healing powers. <laughs> now we know that it's that sap that causes uh, allergy and irritation, actually. <laughs> and the bulb is very poisonous, actually. It certainly is. That's why it's great, uh, because squirrels seem to leave the daffodils alone, as opposed to the tulips that they find so delicious. Um, Narcissus. You, you can't talk about daffodils without talking about Narcissus, um, which is named after the handsome young Greek man. And remember that nymph, Echo, who was in love with Narcissus, but when Narcissus broke off the relationship with Echo, she hid in a cave and she died of heartbreak. Narcissus later saw himself in a pool of water and being so taken with his beauty and himself, <laughs> he couldn't stop staring at himself, he fell into the water and drowned. So the flower is actually said to be his reflection. Um, there's a poem that I wanted to read by William Wordsworth, and it reads like this. It's all about daffodils. I wandered lonely as a cloud that floats on high air valves and hills, when all at once I saw a crowd, a host of golden daffodils, 
beside the lake, beneath the trees, fluttering and dancing in the breeze. Continuous as the stars that shine and twinkle on the Milky Way, they stretched in never-ending line along the margin of a bay. Ten thousand saw I at a glance, tossing their heads in a sprightly dance. The waves beside them danced, but they outdid the sparkling waves in glee. A poet could not be but gay. In such a jocund company, I gazed and gazed, but little thought what wealth the show to me had brought. For oft, when on my couch I lie in vacant or in pensive mood, they flash upon that inward eye, which is the bliss of solitude, and then my heart with pleasure fills and dances with the daffodils. You can't be depressed and see a host of daffodils. <laughs> no. It's really a cheerful sight. And I know? love I love that he references the bay as in Narcissus, the story, you know, yes. the Greek story. So um, let's talk some more about some other Greeks. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about Hyacinth. Bouquet um, residents. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who came, uh, Hyacinth came to Europe from Turkey. Um, in 1573, a German doctor collected samples of these flowers in Turkey, and by the late 1700s, more than 2,000 cultivars were available and were popular. So uh, Hyacinth, again from Greek mythology, was a young boy named Hyacinth. He was killed when a discus hit him in the head <laughs> as he was playing a game. So the story is that a flower sprang from his head as he lie dying in the arms of Apollo. Apollo was said to be wailing and grieving and crying. And the the flower that sprung from his head actually has a pattern of uh, the pattern on the floral uh, petal is an A shape, which indicates Apollo and the sign of his grief. These Greeks are very obsessed with bad behaving bad boys. <laughs> Self-indulgent. <laughs> oh, there's a flower. Someone wants to behave badly. <laughs> oh, bulbs. Hyacinth, come here. <laughs> oh, bulbs. Now, well, when you now when you buy a hyacinth bulb, you're going to think about that, and it's not just going to be a dry, brown, shriveled thing. But you're going to think about some, you know, distracted discus player, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about some other bad behavior, and let's talk about crocus. Yes. Now, I know Alice turned me on to crocus because I didn't like them for a very long time. But she, being one of her favorite bulbs, she encouraged me to plant them. And um, I'm so glad that, you know, she's she's turned me on to them. And, and I now have them in my garden. And we plant them for a lot of people. Those um, little purple and yellow. Yeah. And they come out very buds. early. <laughs> very, very early in the year. March, sometimes even in February if it's warm. And this flower is also, thanks to the Greeks... Um, a symbol of love. It was um, the Greek god Zeus and Hera who loved each other so passionately that wherever they loved and made love, these flowers burst wide open. So every time I see them tucked into nooks and crannies of gardens, under shrubs and trees, I think, wow, there too. I, I love that thought. So now that that's some some interesting behavior. Active behavior <laughs> Active underneath behavior. the shrubs, right? Yeah. They're very it's very <laughs> nice. Those those Greeks were malleable. <laughs> yeah. They can turn any story into something raunchy, I guess. But they're having sex everywhere. Yeah, they are. You know? So um well the crocus were brought to Europe, actually England from France by someone by the name of Jean Robin, the director of gardens in Paris, and then they emigrated to the U.S. on ships with settlers who brought them 
sort of a you know as a sort of a prize across the ocean. So can you imagine moving to a new country and thinking I've got to bring these crocus bulbs <laughs> with me? Those are I some serious that is, that is the last thing I would be thinking of, you know? I'd the, be worried about disease, and these people yeah, are worried about, like... Enough food. Well, they wanted to bring beauty with them. Yeah. You know, and, and actually bulbs are very portable um, and reliable, generally, um, sort of ways to store plant energy, you know? Right. Now, what I think of, when people think bulbs, um, and obviously the people from Holland think bulbs, they think tulips right two lips two lips and in fact um this is this is a really interesting story um and anna pavard and anna pavard's book tulipomania um which is a, a a book that i highly recommend um and that you should read it's really the first story an early story of speculation and you know what we thought we had a mortgage crisis wait until you read that book and you hear about how crazed people got about tulips and how much money they would spend and what they would mortgage to get one. Yeah, this is a completely fantastic story. Um, so we're going to take a little bit of a break. Or is it too early, Alice? I too think early. it's a little early. Okay. Keep talking. All right, I'll keep talking. Um, <laughs> so basically, uh, the tulip was introduced into Europe at the end of the 16th century from Central Asia. Again, I think it's Kazakhstan or Afghanistan or, you know. One of the stands. Well, the stands. Um, the Turks <laughs> had them, and they were part of, the, you know, the Ottoman Empire. They, they had them, and only the, you know, the very rich and the very powerful could enjoy them. And the Turks kind of, you know, hid them. From right. the Europeans and didn't want to share um, these tulip bulbs, um, but once I think it, it became was, a real status symbol. Yeah, yeah. If and you it, had a tulip, you were like you know the dude on the block. Yeah, and um, I think it was Alice. Wasn't it the um, uh, one of the uh, sort of uh, um, folks? Uh, I'm, I'm a, the word is escaping me, but like uh, a politician who was visiting. Um, Turkey and kind of stole some and yes. brought them to Holland. Isn't that right? Mm -hmm. So, and then it started this craze. And it also started a very prosperous time in the Netherlands when they were doing really well. Their navy was very powerful. They were exploring all parts of the world and they were looking for exotic products. So for the rich and the famous, the tulip was this amazing status symbol and the popularity of the tulip soared and soon the demand like skyrocketed in fact in 1636 people started using the tulip to speculate with indebting themselves to buy bulbs at very high prices and then selling them for even higher ones now this is astounding to me because we're not talking about gold or diamonds this is a perishable product you know at a time when they didn't really have a good sense of the science of it and how they worked you know right prices for tulips went as high as the prices of the big houses along the canals in amsterdam yeah so nowadays one floor in such a house already costs more than one million guilders you know right so they they were speculating for so long finally they had they had a reversal of their fortune which was reached in february 3rd 1637 when, for the first time, a collection of very exclusive tulips remained unsold. Other cases followed, and the speculative bubble was quickly pierced, and that was the end of that. So we can relate to that now, can't we, Alice? Yeah. You know, you don't know there's when it's going to... There's a lot of traders feeling the same way. Yeah, I mean, people sold, like, all of their hogs, all their animals, um, whatever crops they promised, you know, whatever... Um, income they were going to have from their crops. They promised everything just for a few tulip bulbs, you know? And of course, if you see the paintings of the period, tulips are very often featured prominently. Uh, yeah, yeah, but in, in botanical artwork, sure. Um, and now, um, many bulb flowers now all developed, produced, and exported from Holland. So they're, 
they're native from far-flung corners of the earth, but Holland has become, because of that time period, um, Holland has become, even though the, the, the kind of epicenter, that epicenter, and there still is a market for bulbs and for flowers. I think we talked about that in one of our early shows um, in the spring. Um, in Amsterdam and in other places in Holland, there is a um, an actual market, you mm-hmm. know, where people will uh, sort of an auction of the bulbs and the flowers um, so that people will pay, you know, like market price for it. But the wild forms <clears throat> of these bulbs um, generally look look kind of nothing like these cultivated uh, bulbs no. that the Dutch hybridizers have created. No, they're really amazing. Um, I've planted a few species tulips. They're very small, mm-hmm. very delicate. Um, they look nothing like that. And they've really, what I like about tulips is you can find them in every color of the rainbow, you know, mm-hmm. from pure white to almost black. Almost black, So right. you can really get creative with them um, and use them. It, it, they're applicable in just about any kind of garden situation, you know. Um, I kind of think of them as disposable not not like the dutch right right <laughs> now now the now that the prices of them have come down considerably so um it's worth it to try you know some wild ones if you happen some species tulips you just have to make sure that they're not wild collected that they're actually cultivated you mm-hmm. know and not um taken from the wild because there's a lot of areas where they're kind of in danger of being extinct right yeah so um, bulbs in general, well, we, we kind of were throwing around this word bulb, but it refers to the sort of storage structure, um, and that's that fleshy mash, ma- mass that lives underground. And it stores its whole complete life cycle in this underground structure, all its nutrient reserves. In fact, if you cut a tulip bulb in half, you can see the miniature version of the flower, everything, the stem, the leaves, in miniature. Yeah, um, you can see generations, which I, I find fascinating with the bulb. Yeah, it's really, really great. And it really is the, you know, it brings life to the term hope. Yeah, yeah, because when you look at this brown shriveled thing with this like dry husk over it, you think, how could this be a flower, you know? Hope really does spring eternal. (laughs) Yeah, so, you know, they have this like period of growth and flowering, then this like period of dormancy that begin, and then it begins to store energy again in the fall. That's why we plant them in the fall, and that's why they... um, they usually don't do well in southern climates because they need that cold period. They need mm-hmm. that dormancy. So um, it's an amazing kind of thing when you cut it open. It's kind of like this ultrasound, but for real, you can see them growing, and it's like this whole new world of beauty. So um, we're going to take a little bit of a break now. This is the real break, um, and listen to some music. And when Alice and I come back, we're going to talk about how and when to plant them. Tulips with me. Oh, tiptoe by the garden, by the garden, over the low tree. Come tiptoe through the tulips with me. Oh, 
welcome back. We dig plants on Heritage Radio Network. That was Tiptoe Through the Tulips by Tiny Tim. And <laughs> I'm so glad we got to use that that song, Alice. <laughs> I don't know. Tiny Tim and tulips, you just you can't really talk about bulbs without imagining big tiny Tim. Tim. <laughs> big. Tipping, tipping toe, <laughs> tipping around. So let's talk for a little bit about um, how and when to plant tulips and, and also and as you're buying them like what to look for that's really important yeah um, so they're coming from holland a lot of them yeah so they've been dug in the summertime and they've been cleaned up and and put in cold storage mm-hmm. until they're ready to sell so they usually hit the markets in september and it's important that you not buy them too early before you plant them because unless you have a place to keep them at like 45, you know, 50 degrees, they're going to kind of dry up and, you know, by the time you plant them, they could not be in great shape. Right. So one of the things that we look for is in the case of the tulip, let's use that as an example. It has this brown covering over it called the tunic and it's what protects the softer part of the bulb from disease and from getting bruised and damaged because as we said earlier the entire the entire thing the stem the leaves the flowers are all in there so if it gets banged up or diseased or damaged in some way you're compromising what the flower and or the overall plant will look like mm-hmm. so you want to look for firm bulbs you know did you just say firm bulbs <laughs> i did <laughs> not shriveled all right put them in the palm of your hand and feel them they should be firm you're killing me and then <laughs> they should have a, a a tunic you know the brown husk should be you the know coat. Co- yeah. covering it you know um it's okay if you see one or two in the bag that don't have it that's all right but you want to make sure they don't have any like mold on it or those mm-hmm. blue spots or any sign of like sickness you know Mm -hmm. because that could also infect the rest of your tulips and bulbs and also um, not produce good flowers so buy them just a week or two or maybe three um, before before you're gonna before you're gonna plant and keep them in a cool dry place now Mm -hmm. as alice mentioned squirrels love tulips if you leave them you know in a place where animals can get to them they will devour they're gonna be gone yeah in fact we we plant um our tulips and bulbs late here um, in New York for specifically that reason. Because if you plant them early, even though, you know, by the clock, it's okay to put them in in October, November, that's still like prime warm weather. That means like squirrel hunting, you know. That's right. I hate squirrels. They are looking (laughs) for their food. So if you, you know, spend however much money and you stick it in the ground with like, anticipation and hope it's going to be chewed up and scattered all over your yard or Mm -hmm. and it's very very disappointing it is i mean i remember i think a squirrel once was trailing me after (laughs) i was planting yeah i dug all these holes and of course and i put all my tulips in you and then he you know it was nice and loose the soil so he could dig he he's better digging than i am and he dug up every one of my tulips so he sees you as a meal ticket oh yeah (laughs) thanks sucker <laughs> yeah you know? um, so meanwhile you, you've just spent a thousand dollars feeding in squirrels <laughs> feeding squirrels right so um, we put them in late yeah late november i mean because, early december yeah you know it, i mean definitely the ground is has suffered through a few frosts by the time we put our bulbs in because we're really with the hope 
when we plant that it's going to freeze hard and those squirrels are going to be like good you luck know, trying to dig through that Dixie, <laughs> <laughs> go looking get, for their nuts go get a chestnut <laughs> yeah somewhere. that's right <laughs> um so yeah and it's important another thing to deter squirrels and other furry unwanted pests in the garden is to plant them deep and it, it'll tell you on the package how deep to plant bulbs eight. and that's very it important six to eight but we usually go eight to ten yeah 12. yeah and if you have a lot to plant do you know i was kidding before about having to dig each hole but if you do have a lot to plant you can dig a trench mm -hmm. nice and deep that'll be easier for you with a big spade and then place them and it's also really important not to crowd them i think a lot of people dig a hole dump them in and you have to space them because otherwise they won't have they won't do well they won't produce really good flowers or foliage if they're right next to each other and and generally you know try and plant them with the tip up um, however, they will right themselves mm -hmm. if if you do get impatient and dump them into a hole, which I've you know been known to do. When you, when it's snowing and you're planting, you will stuff things. Down. Yeah, but they do right themselves, mm -hmm. um, which is another miraculous th trait about bulbs. Mm -hmm. um, and then another thing that we always suggest when we're planting our bulbs is. Plant them en masse, which means don't plant them like little soldiers in a row. That looks terrible. So that they look silly when they come up. They, they look better when they look natural. So that means odd numbers. Threes, fives, sevens, elevens, nines. Um, and, and plant them in, in kind of an organic shape. You know, maybe a kidney shape or... or um, but, but whatever you do, just don't plant them in a row because they look... That looks silly. And a lot of people do that. And Alice and I, you know, being the plant and design snobs that we are, um, we don't, don't do a technicolor display. You're not making a botanic garden. No, one you know? color at a time. Yeah. You don't want to scare people. You don't want to have to have them put on sunglasses to look at your, <laughs> at your floral display. I mean, there are some that like maybe one, maybe two colors that complement each other. Mm -hmm. And really look at the, um, the bloom times. There's early, mid, and late season tulips. So... Think about what other things are blooming in your garden. If you have some like early perennials that you think would look nice with it, put the early tulips in. If you complementary uh, colors, exactly. And what's great about tulips mixed in with perennials is that, of course, after the the you know the flower is done, the foliage starts looking ugly. It's mm -hmm. not a pretty you know plant with it without a flower on it. So the perennials and you know, the ground covers kind of camouflage the ugly foliage that's dying, mm -hmm. you know? Now, as I said before, Alice and I think of tulips as kind of disposable. For our clients' purposes, because we have to have a regular and reliable display every year, we treat the tulips as disposable. We plant them in the fall. After they come up in the spring and they look bad, we rip out everything, not just the leaves, but the bulb too, because they do not come up very reliably like you know one might not flower one might you know have a really small or weak flower so we rip them out throw them out and put new ones we don't think of tulips as perennials in in our case however we do think of daffodils as yes, perennial that's a whole other thing so daffodils are are you know one investment is going to give you payback for years mm -hmm. and they naturalize and they make bulblets under mm -hmm. the ground mm -hmm. and then they just keep producing now of course that's going to have to be replaced every probably seven to to ten years mm -hmm. they don't go on forever and they have to be divided like other perennials that get aggressive so if you if you plant them spaced out like we suggested they won't crowd one another 
um, and you'll won't have to divide them as quickly. It'll mm-hmm. you know each if you give you know it's just it's one individual plant. If you give it more room, it has more room to get water and nutrients, and it'll produce better flowers. And there's nothing as as Alice was reading in the poem. There's nothing more beautiful than narcissus in the spring. It's like right. it's a quintessential flower of spring so those bulbs look really really different from tulips they definitely have like a sort of longer neck um and some are fragrant fragrant and they're really worth planting the fragrant ones pico tea is one of our favorites um but i also really love the yellow and orange combination within one those flower. are hot. Those, Those are, are really, really, really beautiful. I like um, Narcissus Poeticus, which is the poet's um, daffodil. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And it's very delicate. It's white with just like a little orange eye. And to me, there's nothing sweeter um, than that. It's a, it's a tidy little Narcissus. Its foliage is small and kind of gray-green. And it looks really beautiful in the spring with other things, um, like darker colored flowers, because it's so... It's so delicate, you mm-hmm. know. It's sweet. Yeah. And then we were talking about the crocus. Now, the crocus being that they're they're very, very small bulbs. When you buy them, you'll see that they're like the size of a dime, you mm-hmm. know, very, very tiny. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to tell with those small bulbs which end is up, you know. So really look at it closely. You'll see that the bottom often has like an indentation that goes downward where the roots grow from. And then the top is more pointed, um, and it usually has like just a little bit of of a point to it, and that's the the side that has to go up. Mm-hmm. And as a general rule of thumb for these bulbs, if you don't want to stand out there with a ruler, if you plant the bulbs two or three times uh, their height in depth, so let's say the narcissus bulb is three inches high, plant it six inches deep, and you should be okay. Mm-hmm. If you plant them too shallow, besides the animals getting at them, they can't. Um, you know, they can't root very well. They can't nestle themselves in. Yeah, so it's better to plant them a little bit deeper. And it's important also to note that they don't like wet, boggy soils at all. Right. Um, If you think about where they're native to... It's 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 rocky, it's limey, it's very dry, well, dry, well draining. So you don't want to put them like in a bog garden, you know, or in a place where the soil is very clay like. You have to really, or planters. They, yeah, I find they don't do very well. They in, never do well in planters. Um, they no. just always seem to rot. You know, they just get too much water. I try every year, and I get the same stumpy little green. Yeah. <laughs> foliage it's better to just if you have plant if you have a container garden buy the potted ones in the spring uh-huh. and put them in and no one will know no one will be the wiser <laughs> no one will know that you didn't plant them in october and november and you grew them on and they and they sprouted no one will know They'll that's just think, the disneyland effect yeah that some yeah. of us have to do because all we have are planter boxes yeah but if you're lucky enough to have a yard yeah. then uh you're doing your work in October. And also what's nice, um, don't just think of them in the garden borders or in beds, but um, narcissus do really beautiful in lawns. If you have a lawn, you can cut a small patch of the sod or the lawn panel, flip it back, you know, cut out like a C shape and flip it back and then put the bulbs in there and then they'll push through uh-huh. um, the lawn. You can put the lawn right back over it. And like they'll, a carpet. Yeah. yeah. And they'll push through and they'll be beautiful. And usually they're blooming before you have to really start cutting the lawn that much. So, you know, you mow over them or you, you know, mow around them and they are really nice in big clumps in meadows or in places where you have big open space. They like the sun, you know? Yeah. What, one of, one of my favorite 
kind of visions happy place in my head is is um, a dogwood with uh, muscari planted underneath. Yeah, we didn't even talk about muscari. Um, muscari are a grape hyacinth, they're mm-hmm. called. That's the common name. They're also very reliable. And what's great about them and that I find interesting is that they make foliage in the fall. So let's say you plant them one fall and then they bloom in the spring. And then the next fall, you'll know that they're there because they made these cute little green leaves poking out. So you know that those muscari are what we call perennializing. They're they're rooting themselves. They're making sort of a permanent place for themselves in the garden. And it's a great place. To, I mean, bulbs, they're invisible after you cut the leaves. So you can't remember where you planted them. So it's really important that you make note in your garden notebook or put like a tag or something in the garden because it's very easy as you're digging around, as I have, to uproot them right. you know, and disturb them. And when that happens, just stick them back in and... Mm-hmm. You'll get a little surprise. <laughs> yeah, or you can stick. You, know, you can put your spade in and split it in half, like I do yeah. a lot of times. Um, and we didn't even get into the more uncommon ones, like alliums. And we might have to do a show on summer bulbs, maybe, Alice. Yeah, I think we should. Where we wanted to just kind of concentrate, I think, with on the, the fall, show on, yeah. on the fall planted spring blooming bulbs. Yeah, but there's a whole world of uh, all kinds of dahlias and iris and. You know, you name it. There's there's a ton of of more bulb discussion that we could have. <laughs> yeah, we'll do that in the spring when yeah. people when those are generally available and um, people think corms. about summer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, right now we have to wrap up our spring bulb show. Thanks for listening. We dig plants on the Heritage Radio Network. If you've missed any part of this show, you can listen to it on the uh, website archive heritageradionetwork.com or on iTunes podcast uh, thanks to Jack Inslee for producing and Nat Wiener for engineering thanks to Roberta's Pizza and Bushwick and to our sponsor Acme Fish and we look forward to seeing you next week in the garden happy gardening happy gardening happy gardening